Psalm 23, a uh, psalm of David. I'm going to read the whole thing through. If you're following along, you know, read, read along. Uh, it'll be on your screen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, this is not an easy story for me to tell. I'm going to make it quick. It was one month after 9-11, after the terrorists had bombed the World Trade Center. It was one month later. It was a beautiful, beautiful fall morning. Sun was shining. It was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and it was a time of great uh, national confusion. A, a man was in the hospital, and this man was singing Psalm 23 to his beloved dying father. And before he knew it, that man who was in his arms passed away. That man was me. And I sang that song to my father. I sang Psalm 23 to my father because it was his favorite chapter in the Bible. And it is the most beloved of all the Psalms. Nine years ago, here at our church on a Wednesday night, we were doing the Through the Bible format where we go rapidly. We've sort of taken a break from that format during this season. And we did Psalm 22 and 23 in one night. If you recall, we did Psalm 23 on um, Psalm 22, sorry, on Good Friday. But now things are different. Once again, we find ourselves in a period of great national confusion. And so Psalm 23 is not going to be combined with anything else. And we're actually going to take three nights to go through this beautiful, beautiful psalm. Why is, why? Because it's so well known. I mean, just listen to verse 1. Don't look up, don't look at the screen, just listen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So many people know those words. They may not know where it came from, they may not know who wrote it, but they know those words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23 is actually not easy to preach. And the reason for that is so many people own this psalm for themselves. So many people have their own kind of time they remember of reciting this psalm or even people who don't really follow Jesus. They've, they've, they've heard of it before. And so they sort of think about it in their own way. It's also, as you just saw from me, it's very emotional for a lot of people. It's, it's often read at funerals, and it and often brings to mind the death of someone whom you loved greatly. When I was a boy, I felt like my whole life, all I did was I went to wakes and funerals. My grandmother had uh, 13 brothers and sisters, 
Uh, two of them were nuns, but the others were all married, and she was the oldest, and she outlived all of them. She lived just before, just shy of 100. And so uh, all we did, it seemed to me, like was we were going to wakes and funerals all the time. And I would complain to my mother, brat that I was, and I would say, Mom, why in the world do we have to go to all of these wakes and funerals? And I'll never forget my mother saying this to me. She said, we go to them for the living, not for the deceased. And in reality, though Psalm 23 is often read at funerals, it is a psalm for the living because it makes us think about the Lord as we go through life. Psalm 23 is uh, a psalm of trust and confidence in the Lord, yet, and this is one of the things I love about the Bible, it doesn't hide the dangers and hard times of life. Let's be honest for a second. Just totally honest. Despite what is often a lot of the hype of church, what is often a lot of the hype of sermons, like everything is all great, rah-rah, you know, trying to get the troops to push the ball down the field, almost, almost like a football game. Sometimes life can be pretty scary, can it? And life can be pretty difficult. And life can be pretty discouraging at times. And this psalm comes along at the right time into our lives to remind us of the Lord's kindness and His goodness. To remind us of His protection and even of His hospitality while never forgetting how hard life can be. This psalm is very, very personal. And because it's so personal, the way it's written, it transfers easily to all of us and it provides comfort to us in the most difficult times of life. We begin with the heading, A Psalm of David. David, as if you've been with us the past few weeks, you know this. If not, I'm just telling you, David was the gold standard of kings in Israel. He lived about a thousand years uh, before Jesus was born, and he was the one all the kings wanted to be like him. Uh, his writings show us the great intimacy that he had with the Lord, and I think that he encourages us that we can get there too. Now, we'll talk a little bit about all the things that happened in his life that maybe weren't so good but when we went through the Psalms, we went through all of them as a congregation on Wednesday nights. I kept saying this expression. I know he had a lot of problems, but man, the brother could write. There would be times when I would read things that he would write and I would be like, man, that guy is so tight with God. Something that my soul just absolutely longs for. And so the idea um, of the Lord or Yahweh uh, being a shepherd to his people was very, very popular in Old Testament times. However, David says it this way, the Lord is my shepherd. And that little word, my, actually might be the reason why this psalm is so popular. Because it makes it so personal. Now, we have to be careful. And because we have to always remember that we're, when we read the Bible, we're reading about ancient people, 
3,000 years ago, and we are modern people, I guess, if you will. If the Lord doesn't return, some people will refer to us as ancient people. <laughs> but, but as we think about these things, as the, the ancients needed to make the Lord more personal than we do. But American Christians, we need to make it more, the Lord more communal than we do. So while David says the Lord is my shepherd, people would raise their eyebrows. We might want to raise eyebrows when we say to people, the Lord is our shepherd, and think very differently about it. A lot of people know Psalm 23, but it's probably more popular and became more popular in the United States than anywhere else. No doubt a lot of that has to do with our American individualism. We read the Bible often as it just pertains about me and my walk with Jesus, when in reality, if you carefully read the Bible, a lot of the yous that are there are plural, and a lot of it is written to the people of God. The Old Testament written to the Israelites. A lot of the New Testament written to churches. And so we want to be very much aware of our American individualism because the job of a shepherd is what? To watch the flock. That, that is the job. Watch the flock. Now, they don't send a shepherd out just with one sheep. They send them out with a flock. And the church is known as a flock. And a lone sheep from the flock that is off on their own. There's a lot of independent Christians out there. What does the Bible describe such people as? Jesus describes such sheep as being lost. Now, I know a lot of people have been hurt by the church. I know a lot of people have. Um, I've had times in my life when I didn't think I was exactly treated the best way. Doesn't usually bother me because I'm just like, well, you know, we're all a bunch of sinners in the church, and that's just the way it goes. And I'm fortunate I'm blessed with being able to not carry a lot of that stuff for a long time. But if you've been hurt by the church, I'm going to ask you this question, and I'm going to challenge you with this, and I think you're going to have some time to think about it. When all of this is over, would you give the church another try? If you're from this area, come here. Come here. Tell me, I'll meet with you. You want to tell me what happened? I'll be happy to talk with you about it and give the church another try. You see, the Lord wants us as a community of his people that are worshiping him and as individuals independently to be confident in what Psalm 23 talks a lot about is the Lord's protective care. And one of the functions of the church is to encourage the flock of God, is to care for, is to pray for one another, not lecture one another, but care for one another in our doubts and in our fears. Sheep are very skittish animals. And I think a lot of times, while the church is supposed to be the place of honesty, it's often the place of plasticity. There's a big word, huh? Where a lot of people are just plastic and they think they have to look more spiritual than they are. And the only person who thinks you're more spiritual and I'm more spiritual than we are is us. <laughs> nobody, nobody else really buys it. 
You see, it's easy for us, because we live in such a materialistic society, uh, to miss what King David, and he was very rich, is saying here. He's saying ultimately in this psalm, verse 1, because the Lord is my shepherd. Verse 4, because he is with me. And verse 5 and 6, because he sits me at his feast. Because of all of that, I shall not want. I shall not be in need. Yet it's all said out of, and, and sometimes, you know, the church usually falls into two camps. It's all experiential, and some people are like, it's just too wacky for me. And then it can also be too intellectual, and some people are like, it's just too heady for me. But in reality, the Lord wants us to have a good head on our shoulders and to experience him in truth. And so David says everything that he says, and it is born out of an experience of the past, present, and future danger that he finds himself in. In other words, hang, hang on to this one, please, loved ones. In other words, crisis produces trust in David. Please let me say that again, because this is so critical to the times we find ourselves living in right now. Doesn't mean we're silly. Doesn't mean we don't care. Doesn't mean we don't take precautions. We are wise. But crisis produces trust in David. Now, I know that may seem odd to some of you. Some of you thought, I thought God's job was to make me happy. Isn't that what he is supposed to do? But, but crisis producing trust in you, in me, is a very, very important part of our Christian life. It's an important part of our faith. So let's jump in. We, we don't know the circumstances upon which David is writing, but we do know that he appears to be in some sort of danger. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. And the Lord is with him. Now let's just take a couple things we know about David. We know that he grew up as a shepherd boy. He, he was, wasn't come from the kingly line. He was the beginning of the kingly line, if you, if you will, the family line, the line of David. And he would become what was known as the shepherd of Israel. But who is David's shepherd? When we first started the church here, people would say to me, you know, well, my wife would say to me, well, who's your pastor? And, you know, there's certain men in my life that I would consider in that role. But I would say to her, ultimately, I'd say, you are. You're Pastor Pam, all right? <laughs> because she's like, you're so busy, busy shepherding other people. What about you? And so David knew that the Lord was his shepherd. So that's why he writes, verse 1, the Lord, or Yahweh, the covenant name of God, the Lord is my shepherd, he personalizes it, and because of that, he says, I shall not want. Another version says, I will lack nothing. So David refers to him in what we might call, for his time, 
the, the name, the name of God, Yahweh. If you want to jot down in your notes, if you're taking notes, Exodus 3, you want to see when God speaks to Moses, that's who he is. He is the God who will be with Moses. Now, for us, the term Lord really probably in many ways often lacks intimacy. Probably one of the reasons why we're encouraged to think of God as our Father, but that comes with some baggage for some people. Uh, but, but think of it in the sense of when I say it lacks intimacy, sometimes we just refer to the Lord. Oh, the Lord knows. Oh, the Lord knows. Or, you know, I'll go talk to the Lord about it. So a very, very casual attitude. That's like me calling Pam the wife. I mean, you ever hear some guys talk? Guys, we know this. So you hear guys and they go, well, I talk to the wife. Or, or, you know, what the wife or this. I never call Pam the wife. I never do. I say my wife. Or a lot of you know, I say my Pam. Now that could be why followers of Jesus, and if you're not one, man, thank you for being here tonight. Way to go. Glad you're with us. And, but that could be why followers of Jesus like the name Jesus. As a common name, there's an intimacy there with that name. Now, Yahweh, we're told here by David, and we know in the Scriptures, was also, in addition to being the Creator God, was a shepherd. Now, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd lives with his flock. A shepherd travels with his flock. A shepherd, as we'll talk about in a bit, leads and feeds his flock. He, he guides and provides for his flock. Now, shepherding, we think probably because we're blinded by Christmas, we think it's sort of a nice thing, you know, those nativity scenes and stuff like that. And, uh, or you watch, you know, Charlie Brown Christmas or something like that, and you think it's a nice thing. It was actually uh, very, very dirty work. It was lowly work. And if a family had sheep, the father was a shepherd, he would usually pass on that duty to watch the, the, the sheep to who? The youngest son. And that's who David was. He was the youngest son, and he got stuck with the dirty work. Now, pastors are to be shepherds. That may be, some of you may go, I know that. Some of you may say, I didn't really know that. Why wouldn't you know that? Well, because we live in the age of celebrity pastors. Talk about two words that should not be in the same sentence. Celebrity pastors. A lot of pastors are entitled. A lot of pastors think that the people are to serve them. It's, it's, it's all backwards. I remember years ago, I was talking to an older woman, and she was very, very wise. And she said to me, so, um, what do you think the Lord is doing with your life? And I said to her, well, I think God is calling me to be a pastor. I always felt weird saying that to people. And, you know, people would always have their advice or they'd say this or other people would look at you like, yeah, sure, whatever it would be. But this woman just smiled. This is all she said. So you feel God has called you to be a shepherd. That's all she said. And it was like the angels from heaven had just come down and had a pronouncement from God. You feel called 
to get involved in the lives of people. I just smiled and I just kind of said, yeah, I guess that's what he's called me to be. And I remember walking away and saying to the Lord, point well taken, that pastors are to be shepherds. And they are to shepherd, as Peter says, the flock of God that is among them. And you can't shepherd a flock that you are never among. And so this psalm takes us through the daily routine of a shepherd, walking with them, resting with them, feeding with them, feeding them. Now that sounds nice, but also they had to protect them from enemies and other wild animals. And then eventually they would come home and they would enjoy the night get some rest. Now, that preparation for David uh, allowed David to see how Yahweh was both the shepherd of Israel and David's personal shepherd. You say, well, how so? Well, that would be in the sense that, that we, like the sheep, David knew this, are totally dependent on the shepherd for life. David knew if he didn't take care of his sheep, he'd come back and <laughs> they'd be in pieces. The, the wolves and the coyotes, whatever, they, whatever kind of wild animal, lions and bears, they would get at them. And so David knew that his life was the same way. That no matter how much power he had, no matter how wealthy he was, no matter how big his army was, that he was dependent on the shepherd for life. The old patriarch Jacob, he, he knew that. He said this, Genesis 48, 15. It says, And he blessed Joseph and said, that's his son, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me, another version says, has been my shepherd all my life long till this day. Jacob knew that his life all the way through, and he had quite a life, had been protected by God. So David is saying, Yahweh, the personal God, is my shepherd. Now, a lot of us know when you have little kids, you know, they pick up toys and they go, mine, mine. Some of you don't know that a couple of the ladies in our church banned me from being around toddlers in the church because I go into the room and I pick up a toy and I just yell, mine, mine, and they all run at me saying, mine, mine, and then I leave. And then they're like, you, you rile up the kids, Pastor Jim. Don't come in here anymore. And, and so what does that mean when he says he's my shepherd? Is he like, he's mine, he's mine. Does that mean that the Lord belongs to David exclusively? Well, yes and no. Does the Lord only belong to David? No. Is no one else except Yahweh ultimately his shepherd? Yes. So he personally belongs to Yahweh. Kings were often called the shepherds of the people. And King David knew that in the people's eyes, we just said this before, he was known as the shepherd of Israel. The king of Israel was the shepherd of Israel. But unlike a lot of the other kings who thought they were all it, David understood and knew that Yahweh was the true king and that Yahweh 
was the real power behind the throne. That he was the real king. And so David declares, he's my shepherd, he's my king, I will gladly live under the reign of Yahweh. I will gladly live under the reign of the king, the shepherd of Israel, the true king. Now, some of you go, well, that's easy for him. He's King David. Well, a lot of the other kings, nobody told them anything to do. They wouldn't have it. You think, well, well he's rich. He's a Bible writer. Yeah, I, I know. He, I, if you read the Bible, you know he messed up a few times. But, but, but he was the, God, the man after God's own heart. All true. But when we read the psalm and the psalms that he wrote, we can't forget the deep pain that this man went through. Some of it of his own making, a lot of it of his own making, but not all of it. And, and that deep pain, that experience of growing up as a shepherd, of dealing with the wild animals, of everything that happened in his life, that deep pain is what makes verse 1 a reality. You're probably not going to be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, until he has shepherded you through deep, dark pain. I mean, dark, dark stuff. Other than that, you're sort of in a holding pattern. You're, you're happy about it. I get it. But, but if you talk with most couples, they'll tell you that, that there's a great joy. Couples that are doing well, that are thriving, that love being married. I love being married. And, and they'll tell you that, yes, in good times and in joy and in blessing, they rejoice together. They grew closer together. But they will also tell you that probably it is in mourning and in sadness and in deep pain that they actually grew closer together. Because in that point, they became so dependent on one another. Again, we don't know when David wrote this, but we do know about some of the events of his life. We know he was, had a, got the dirty job. He was the shepherd. We know that when Saul had his time was over, Samuel, king, uh, prophet Samuel came to find uh, the next king from the house of Jesse. And he lined up all the brothers. David wasn't there. He was out with the sheep. The Lord kept saying, not him, not him, not him. All the, all the guys you think it would be. Nope, not him, not him, not him. And they go, and so Samuel says, is anybody else? And they go, yeah, there's the punk kid watching the sheep. So they go, go get him. They're like, what, are you kidding me? Get him? It's a waste of time. They got him. And indeed, he was the chosen one. But his brothers, they didn't respect him. They were all afraid of Goliath. And David goes out to the front lines, and, and they're fighting him. He's bringing some supplies there, and he's like, we can take this guy. And they're like, why don't you get out of here, you stupid punk? Go back to the sheep. You don't belong out here. This is for men, not for you. And what happens? He takes out Goliath. Well, then people knew that he was named by Samuel to be the king, and King Saul was still the king, and, and he didn't like that. So he tried to kill David, throwing spears at him. That's not exactly fun, is it? 
especially when you're serving them. The Philistines, they hunted David down. They killed his best friend, Jonathan, Saul's son. Then when he was supposed to go out to battle, he didn't. And he saw a woman bathing on a rooftop named Bathsheba. And so he calls her in and he commits adultery with her. She gets pregnant. He then has her husband killed out in the battle, thinking he's getting away with it. And the the Lord sends the prophet Nathan and says, hey, dude, we know what you did. And so he's waiting for the baby, and the baby dies. His daughter, one of his daughters, got raped by by her stepbrother, one of David's sons. David did nothing about it. I don't know whether he was paralyzed. I don't know what the deal was. You can ask him when you meet him in heaven. But he paid stiff consequences for doing nothing because her brother, Absalom, did something about it and killed that stepbrother. And eventually, Absalom's hatred for his father grew so intense that he tried to steal the kingdom from King David And in the process of it all, David's son Absalom died. He had various stories of friends stabbing him in the back. He had all kinds of problems, more things than you and I could ever imagine. Yet, because the eternal Lord is an intimate shepherd to David, David concludes... I shall not want. He's my shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing. These are the words of a man who is content in the present and confident in the future because of his relationship with the Lord. Let me throw out the challenge to all of us right now. Can we, like David, try to be focused on being content in the present and confident in the future solely based on our relationship with the Lord? That's an amazing statement coming from a man who had lost so much. I shall not want. And you may not believe this, but I believe this with all of my heart. If David could get to that place, you and I can get to that place. That all of us can get to that place. This is the the theological concept of what we call the sufficiency of God. For David, for many people, the Lord is always enough even when life is tough. So what did David experience, even in the great difficulties of life? He experienced the love of God. He experienced the peace of God. There's other times where he seems panicky and sad, yes, but he understood the love of God, the peace of God. He understood the fulfillment of God, and he understood and experienced contentment in God. 
Let me ask you this question. How many people do you know that are really content? When you think of all the things in the world that you could have, there's probably not too many things that are higher up on the list than being content. In other words, David would say, despite everything that's going on around, I am happy in God. I find great joy in Him. And because of that, I realize that I lack nothing. Back in Moses' day, uh, before King David, Moses used similar wording to describe God's care for the people of God in the wilderness. He says this, uh, Deuteronomy 2.7. Nehemiah also said it later on. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Interesting. They complained the whole way. I wonder how many of them at the end said, you know what, when it came down to it, we really lack nothing. It's important to note that David uses the word, he says, I shall not want. He uses the word want and not the word desire. So, so what is he saying? He's saying, I did not lack what I needed. Like a good father, like a good shepherd, the Lord does not give us everything we desire. That would be a bad father. That would be a bad shepherd. That would be a bad friend. Trusting the Lord, then, David is showing us, and David is picturing himself as the sheep. Trusting the Lord is like a sheep and shepherd relationship where the shepherd, the Lord, will make sure that we don't lack what we need. In other words, when he says, I shall not want, that means I shall not be in want or I shall not lack what I need because my shepherd, because we are so close, he's going to provide all of that for me. Now, David, again, he, he knows a lot about sheep. And there's, a, there's that little book, you know, Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. If you want to copy right into us, I think we have some extras around the church. And, and, but the interesting thing about sheep is, left to themselves, they lack everything. Left to themselves, they are helpless. Let, yet, the shepherd provides. So you might say, what does the Lord think I need? What won't I lack as long as I put my trust in the Lord? Well, the next two verses actually help us to get a grip on that, to understand that. In verse 2, we see that if the Lord is your shepherd, you won't lack rest. You won't lack rest. Look at verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, interesting. Uh, again, sheep are very skittish. To get them to lie down, not the easiest thing in the world. Uh, they were always afraid of, uh, you know, they either wanted something to eat, they wanted to run away, they were afraid of, of other animals or anything. But it also says to lie down in green pastures, plural. 
So what does that mean? That the Lord is with them as they are on the move. He leads me, the shepherd leads the sheep beside the still waters. Some versions say beside the quiet waters. So picture yourself having a a long, long, hot day or perhaps a long, tough season of life. And the Lord leads you to this beautiful field. It's a beautiful, warm, sunny day. You know the kind that you're not hot, you're not cold. It's just perfect. I call it the temperature of heaven. And, and you just are able to stretch out on the grass by a quiet stream. It, it's quite a, a picture of the Christian life. You're out all day long serving the Lord wherever the Lord leads you in, in what is at times a dangerous and harsh world. And at the end of the day, you just need some rest. You're just, you're just searching for rest. And to lie down is to rest. And the idea here is when you need it, God is ready to supply it to you. Again, it's a situation for a sheep where they feel safe enough to lie down. There's also here the mark of a good shepherd. He leads the sheep. He leads the sheep. I know a lot of sermons have been in church a long time. They, they like to focus on how dumb and dirty sheep are. Well, I don't know to me, what's the point? I think the point is really how helpless they are and sometimes foolish too. But the focus is more on how the shepherd, who is all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, is willing to lead the sheep. Not be like, hey, listen, man, you can't get it together. I got no time for you. Not at all. That's one of the reasons you know how gracious God is, that he didn't give up on David. He hung in there with him. And so he leads the sheep. That's very different than driving the sheep. Two very, very different concepts. To lead is to say, come, let's go. To, to drive is to push and to push and to push. Now, there always comes issues with a lot of people because maybe you came from a driving household. So anytime anybody politely asks you to do something, you take it as they're trying to manipulate you. And so if that's you, you need to really think about that. But the good shepherd leads the sheep. The great example of this to me is in Genesis chapter 33. Jacob and Esau, who had been at odds, reunite. And, and, and Jacob was a shepherd. We talked about that earlier. But Esau was the drive him cowboy, man. He's like, let's go. Let's ride. Right? He's that guy. And it says this, Genesis 33, 12 through 14. Then Esau said, when they had reunited, let us take our journey. Let us go, and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are weak and the flocks and the herds which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Please let my Lord go ahead before his servant. I will lead on 
slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to see my Lord and Sarah. You see, there's a big difference. And, you know, when some of you are bosses or you are a ministry leader or you're, you know, you have your family, you got different kids. You know how it is when you have different kids. You're like, how did they come out of the same womb? Because they could be so different from one another. You're like, what in the world is this? And it's very important to know how to get people to move forward because they're all different. Some require a little bit slower leading. Some require to be pushed on a little bit more. And so Jesus is the shepherd that leads his people. Perhaps the green pastures that he mentions here in verse 2 are also a source of food. Green would mean that there is plenty of food. Now, a lot of times they would just eat the, eat the pasture dry and they'd have to move on to the next one. That's why it's pastures. But here probably referring to us for spiritual food. And, and, but the implication here seems to be is that there's enough good food for the sheep to be satisfied. And for now, they can rest and they don't have to look for more food. There's also the we see the picture, the scene of the still water. And that would be important for them not only to rest, but to provide refreshment. Now, I don't know if you know this about sheep, uh, but they're not good swimmers. And so the shepherd would even have to watch them uh, there. And so maybe we'd have to think of the shepherd. What he would do is, uh, you know, the, the, they would lead the sheep and they'd be feeding and eating. And maybe one would be watching them and the, and the good shepherd would go over to the river and maybe he would be taking rocks and he'd be making up a little pool for them. So they wouldn't get caught in the current. So they, wouldn't, so they wouldn't get washed downstream. So they could come over and they could just drink. So they could safely be refreshed and not drown. Now you say, all of this sounds great, Pastor Jim. Man, this sounds awesome. But it is just not possible in my life. <laughs> Nor was it possible for a sheep in a dry, dusty, and dangerous Middle Eastern desert without a shepherd. Couldn't happen without a shepherd. And the Lord's renewals in our lives, we get from, from the meat of His Word, from the living water of the Holy Spirit. And that's what fuels our faith. That's what, that what fuels our service. That's what fuels our joy of living. We often talk about that the grace of God, the cross of Christ, motivates us by grace to move on forward, to keep going. But it's not only rest and food that sheep need. It's also the peace of mind to know that the shepherd is watching them and protecting them. You know, David said he fought off wild animals while he was a shepherd. I think a lot of times people think, well, you know, easy for him. How do you know he didn't get banged up a lot? Look what happened to the good shepherd, Jesus. He was crucified on a cross to protect us from the penalty of our sin. See, 
these are key to finding our rest in God, trusting in our Father's care in a very, very, at times, dangerous world. When we come to verse 3, we think about this. If the Lord is your shepherd, you won't lack life. You will not lack guidance. He says, he restores my soul. Some versions say he restores my life. He leads me. Notice, says it again. Another version says he guides me in the paths of his, in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, just imagine for a second how mundane the life of a sheep and a shepherd must be. And I know that a lot of us feel that way as well. Some people, their life is always in a crisis. We're going to put that to the side for a minute. But for most of us, most of our lives are fairly ordinary and routine. And you know what? That can really wear you down. That can really wear you down. You know, the first, first six months I was a, past, a teaching pastor on a Sunday morning. I would wake up on Sunday morning, get mad, pff, out of that bed like a, like a cannonball, man. Like, good morning, Lord. Yes, Sunday. You know, then after about six months, I was like, good Lord, it's morning. You're kidding me. Like Sunday is already here again? It's so faithful to come around. And one of the things I always pray for is that God would ignite my soul with excitement for the passage that I'm in, no matter what it is. Because life can become so routine, can become so mundane. It feels like you're just doing the same stuff over and over again. And look at the promise that the shepherd makes. David says, he restores my soul. Some verses again, he restores my life. God promises day-to-day care over your life, over my life. And not only that, but the ability to have day-to-day contentment to actually find joy in the mundane. I wonder how much of the Lord's restoring us or protecting us we're actually aware of. I think probably very, very little. I wonder how much strength The Holy Spirit is pumping into our hearts, I mean the very essence of our being and our souls, in the midst of all the heartache and pain of life. I mean, sometimes, you ever have anybody say this to you, like, I don't even know how you're standing after all you've been going through. And you're like, and also you're like, yeah, I don't really know. It's the Lord. I wonder how often. We're wandering, and we don't realize it's the grace of God that restores us, that brings us back. And friend, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I can tell you this tonight. I know that the Lord wants to restore you. The Lord wants to be 
your shepherd. He wants to lead you. And trust me, he makes better decisions than you and I make. Restoring could mean that he you know, brings us back. It could mean that he, he saves us physically. It could mean that he saves us spiritually. It could mean uh, that he brings me to repentance. But ultimately, we always know repentance is turning from your sin to God. He brings us back to him. Once again, notice here it says he leads me. He doesn't drive me. He's not like getting you with a hammer. He leads you, guides you in the paths of righteousness. What does that mean? That means that God graciously leads his people, primarily through the scripture, through the word of God. God graciously leads his people in the path that he wants us on. Not our path, his path. You know, a lot of Christians, if you're around them long enough, they're very flippant in the way they're talking about. They're saying, well, God is leading me. God is leading me. God's not leading me. A lot of times it's just like, why don't you just say that's what you want to do? Or that's what you don't want to do. I have a friend, he calls that lead poisoning. I feel lead, right? You got lead poisoning. But, but it's, it's very, very serious when we talk about God leading us. Because Think about it in the context of where we are in the psalm. Most of us, if we've been around the church for any length of time, or we're around Christians who have been around the church for a length of time, we think about God leading us in big decisions. Right? You know, where am I going to work? Where am I going to live? I tell young people, second most important decision of your life, who are you going to marry? Most important decision, are you going to follow Jesus? Are you going to put your trust in him? So, But we think about God leading us only in terms of big decisions. But for God's sheep, where was God leading the sheep? Where does the shepherd lead the sheep? Everywhere. Everywhere. It, it, God leads the sheep in everyday life. God leads us in the paths, plural, of righteousness. What is that? That is, he leads us in the paths of faithfulness to the king. Now, sometimes you say, oh, well, but I get tempted he wants you to take a different path. He wants you to see the temptation and go, you know what, I'm not going down that path. I'm going down this path. I'm going down the path of righteousness. Because why? Because God makes better decisions than I make. You know, let's be honest. There are so many paths to take in life. I mean, do you think that a shepherd shepherding a bunch of sheep, but let's say they want to go to the top of a hill or a mountain or something like that, and there's 20 paths at the bottom. Do you think the shepherd just goes, hey, take whichever one you want. We'll meet you at the top. No, he doesn't do that at all. You see, only a trustworthy shepherd can take you on the right path. There are plenty of bad shepherds out there that are not God's shepherds, that are leading people on bad paths, and many of them call themselves pastors. And so we have to be very careful of that. Here, the right path is called, again, the paths, plural, of righteousness. In other words, this is a life to be led. It is the life that God wants for his people that he will lead us on. 
But once again, the sheep are not left on their own. They are led. And so here is the soul-searching question for tonight. Will you follow? Will you allow the Lord, through His Word, to lead you? This is... This is one of the reasons why picturing the, God's people as sheep works so well. Why? Because sheep are very prone to wander. They even wander from the blessed life they have with the best shepherd. Does that sound familiar to you at all? How prone are we to wander from the blessed life of the best shepherd. At the end of verse 3, we're told that the shepherd does all of this for his namesake. What, what does that mean? Well, a, a name represented everything about you. So he does this for his, for his sheep, yes. But he also does it primarily, and you have to understand Jewish thinking. There can be a lot of things involved, but they t- primarily focus on the main thing or the most important thing or, or number one on the list. He mainly does it for his own glory, for his reputation. We might put it this way. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake because he said he would. That's why. And and when we think about these things, it can mean many things. But one thing is this shepherd will never, ever, ever lead you on the wrong path. It might seem at times that you're on the wrong path. And sometimes, if you know it's a God path, it's a test of your faith. It's building you stronger, and we want to stay right on that path. And part of God's character is God will keep His promises to lead and protect His people. And as we'll talk about next week, even in death. We'll pick up next week at verse 4. David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that sounds scary, yet he says, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, your rod and your staff. This is the oddest thing. They comfort me. We all know everyone will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. How do we do it without fear? And and how is it that David can say that the process can actually comfort you? And then after that, what's next for a follower of Jesus? Well, you'll just have to come back next week for that. I hope you'll join us, but for now, let's remember that for a follower of Jesus, it's important to remember that this world is not our home. We are pilgrims. Who are pilgrims? They are people that are on their way home. And more than anything else, we need a shepherd to lead us home. I'll quote Jesus, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus says, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. 
That would be hell. So what is he saying? That gate is wide. There's a lot of people going in that one. And there are many who go in by it. Verse 14. Because narrow is the gate. So why are so many people going in the wide gate? Because narrow is the gate. And difficult is the way which leads to life. That's heaven. And there are few who find it. Friend, if you are not a follower of Jesus, tonight, God is giving you the chance to find that narrow gate. To find that way into heaven. And the gate has a name. And his name is Jesus Christ. He claimed to be the only way to get to heaven, and he proved it by dying on a cross and rising from the dead. So to find the gate, to get in, the gospel is that you must repent and believe. To repent means to turn, to turn from your own path. And to turn around and say, no, I'm going back down to the bottom of the trail. And there I'm going to meet God. And I'm going to ask him where his path is. And he's going to show me the tour guide. And it's his name's Jesus. And he's going to be the one on the cross. And so I'm going to turn to God. And I'm going to put my trust in Jesus instead of myself for the forgiveness of my sins and eternal life. And then I will follow Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, all the way home to heaven. Friends, I'm going to be dead serious with you on this one. I know a lot of people think they're going to heaven because they're a good person. And on this point, a holy God will not bend. He will not bend on this one. He is doing this for the glory of His name. So what will you do? Will you continue to follow yourself? Will you follow the crowd? Or will you follow Jesus? How in the world, think about this, how in the world do you and I think we could possibly get to heaven without help from the one Jesus said, I came from heaven and then I returned to heaven. He's the way. He's the only way to heaven. Jesus said right here in Matthew 7, the broad way leads to death, but the way of the cross will lead you home to eternal life. But how sad, Jesus says, few will find it. Friend, let me tell you, it is right out in front of you right now. It's right there. It's as simple as you tonight turning from your sin. With you live with your back to God. Turn to God. Tell Him that you are willing to give up your sin. You need His help, but you're willing to live for Him. You're willing to let Him lead you and putting your trust in Jesus. And if you do, this is what you can say. The Lord is my shepherd. And he will provide for you. And he will protect you. 
and he will lead you all the way home to the kingdom of God. Well, let's pray.